Okay, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about Abraham and Sarah, and we're going to talk about um, Adam and Chava, and, uh, and the power of prayer, and also the, the transition, the development, between uh, Noah and, um, and Abraham Avinu. So, so maybe we'll start there, because there's a teaching that I heard from Reb Shlomo that he said in the name of the Zohar, that um, I keep on coming back to, because Noah is a very, is a very uh, misunderstood figure. People can't figure out, people get angry at Noah, or they belittle him, and it's not, it's not really right, it's not really just. He was, he was, he was very great, and, when you, and yet we know that Noah didn't seem to pray for his generation that they should be saved. We see the world is destroyed, and, and seemingly that's because Noah didn't, didn't pray to Hashem that they should be spared. Um, and in fact, the, the prophet calls, the prophet uh, Yeshaya, Isaiah, calls the, the floodwaters May Noach, the waters of Noach, which seems to suggest that he is very much responsible for these waters because he didn't pray. So, so we have a real problem understanding Noach. On the one hand, it seems like he's responsible for the flood and he's to be blamed. On the other hand, we say he was a very great tzaddik, which he certainly was. So how are we, understand, how are we to understand the greatness of his tzidkis? I'll make the question even stronger. We have a, 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 um, a, 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 a phrase, it's called a, a, a tzaddik in pelts, which is, uh, which is Yiddish for a tzaddik in a fur coat. And it's, um, it's, it's offered as a description that derides the status of a uh, so-called holy man. So what is uh, a tzaddik in pelts? Well, the example that's given is, imagine you have a very cold room. Well, you can do two things in order to um, solve the problem of a very cold room. You can light a fire and warm everybody in the room, or you can put on a fur coat. So if you put on a fur coat, then you've taken care of yourself, but what about everyone else? So that's called a tzaddik in pelts, a tzaddik in a fur coat, meaning to say that he's... Very righteous, but ultimately his, his, his vision, his grasp, doesn't include everybody else. So that seems to be very problematic. So it would seem to be that Noah, Noah is the classic tzaddik in pets, right? Because he gets saved and the whole world gets destroyed. And yet that would be a very fundamental misunderstanding. Misunderstanding of who Noah was. Okay, so now we have to look more deeply into it and figure out, well, what's going on with Noach then? Why didn't he pray? So, so the reason why I want to bring this up, especially since we've discussed this at different times, is because I was so happy to find a, an actual um, reference in, in, the, in the verses themselves, in the psukim themselves, that show the transition the spiritual evolution to the next step where Abraham Avinu prays for the salvation of Sodom, for Sodom and Gomorrah. Because, remember, we're contrasting and comparing, as the rabbis have done for thousands of years, the, the greatness of Noah to the greatness, and everyone would have to say, the even greater greatness of Abraham. Right? These are, everyone is comparing these, these, two, these two men. And we know that Abraham is greater. So how is it that Abraham Avinu is praying for the wicked of Sodom and Gomorrah and Noah isn't davening for the entire world? This is the question. 
And what's our proof? Where do, where do we learn the insight, the great moment where Abraham gets it, so to speak? Okay, so we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, but let's just make the point. Noach didn't know. Rav Shlomo says in the name of the Zohar, Noach didn't know that you can pray to, so to speak, change Hashem's mind. You see, imagine you work for someone. Imagine you work for God. We all work for God, right? And God says, this is what I want. What is, what is your greatness? Your greatness is, is that, God, if this is your will, I'm going to make your will my will. So, in other words, the greatness of a person, the greatness of a servant of Hashem is enacting Hashem's will. So, if Hashem says, I want to bring a flood and wipe out the world because all these people have gone way off, way, way off the path, the greatness of a person who's a tzaddik says, okay, God, that's what you want, that's what it's going to be. So, in a way, when you look at it that way, Noah seems very good, seems very, very righteous, and yet, intuitively, we know that there's something wrong because the whole world gets wiped out. But for Noah, he didn't understand yet that you can, so to speak, and I'm going to put this in heavy quotation marks for a lot of reasons, but let me just use this phrase for now. Noah didn't understand that you could change Hashem's mind. Now the reason why I use that phrase, which is ultimately an incorrect phrase, with great caution, is because Hashem doesn't change His mind. Hashem never changes His mind. And we shouldn't think that He changes His mind. Sometimes He shows us something. Sometimes He shows us something that He doesn't want to be. He shows us something that He doesn't want to be, and He wants us to pray that it shouldn't be that way. And it's our job to pray that it shouldn't be that way. But, on another level, and maybe even a deeper level, There are many ways that Hashem can affect His world and achieve His will. You know, those of us who live in Los Angeles, I'll give you a sort of a kind of a way of visualizing this, but there are a zillion ways to visualize this. You know, when you're traveling from from, uh, Sunset Boulevard to Ventura Boulevard over the hill, there are a lot of ways to do it. (laughs) And even as you're going over Laurel Canyon or Coldwater Canyon, if you know these roads at all, there's zillions of little roads to the side that you can take. In other words, there are many ways to achieve, to achieve a particular result. There are many ways to arrive at a destination. You know, like, the way, like they always say in, 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 in television cop shows, we can do this the hard way or we can do this the easy way. In other words, Hashem is taking us to a particular place. But how we get to that place is up to us. How much we're praying, what our merits are, individually and collectively as a people and collectively as the world. And so, like, the ultimate, the ultimate expression of this is the prophet says that I will bring, um, I will bring, um, I want to quote it exactly, but I can't. The key word is Achishena, which is that um, I'm going to bring Mashiach in its time. Pardon me for not quoting it exactly, but the point is is that there's a contradiction in the phrase. Seemingly, he's going to bring it early, and yet in its time. So what does it mean you're going to bring it early in its time? So the rabbis say, well, if, we're, if we merit, Hashem will bring it early. If not, he'll bring it in its time. In other words, 
We're driving toward the same result, but how we get there is up to us and up to our number of merits. Okay. So now, with this in mind, Hashem doesn't change his mind, but what he wants is a righteous world. Now, how is he going to get the righteous world? Well, he can wipe out the world. That's one way of getting it, right? Well, that's a pretty drastic way, and that's how it, that's how it happened, by the way. Or he can do it through Noah praying for the generation and working for the generation and transforming the generation from, from wickedness to righteousness. In other words, in both instances, Hashem achieves his will, but it's up to us how, does Hashem, how is Hashem's will enacted. Is that clear? Okay. So, so Noah could have, could have accessed and realized Hashem's will through prayer and working with the people more. But that didn't happen. Because Noah didn't, didn't know, didn't know when Hashem said, I'm going to wipe out the world. Noah says, okay, whatever you want, God, that's what I want. You're going to wipe out the world? That's what it is. So there's actually, in a weird way, a beauty to that. But it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't deep enough. And I'll tell you what Rip Shlomo says on that subject. But first, before we get to the, the disconnect the fundamental disconnect, which is going to get us back to the Garden of Eden in a moment. Let's just compare it with Avraham Avinu. So Avraham Avinu finds out that Sodom and Gomorrah is going to be wiped out. And Avraham Avinu prays that Hashem should spare this, this outlaw city. How did he know when Noah didn't know? How did he know so I never knew the answer to this question until this week. So I'm very happy. Very happy. So listen to this. Listen to this answer. So I learned, Rabbi Shlomo says the following. You know, when the angels showed up that Abraham was feeding, one angel says, you're going to have a child in a year. And another angel says, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. Now let's backtrack for one moment. And there was a third message also that he's going to be healed. But anyway, um, let's concentrate on this, the connection between you're going to have a child in a year and the city of Sodom, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom. So the first thing that we have to know, Rav Shlomo says, is how much Avraham and Sarah were praying for a child. You see, you don't really see it in the Pesukim themselves. You see, you see Abraham say, well, who's going to succeed me? But you don't see a Pesuk that says, and Abraham and Sarah pleaded with God for a child. You don't see that Pesuk. By Yitzchak and Rivka, you do see that, that they were praying for a child. But by Abraham and Sarah, you don't see that. And yet, does anyone have a doubt how much they were begging God for a child? For decades and decades? Does anyone even have a question in their mind as to whether or not they were begging God for a child? Of course they were. Of course they were. So now, with that in mind, with that in mind, listen to this. So the angel says to Avram, you're going to have a child in a year. And, um, and also, the city of Sodom is going to be destroyed. So Abraham hears the following. I'm going to have a child in a year? Ah, 
That means that Hashem listens to prayers. That means that Hashem answers prayers. And you're going to destroy Sodom? Well, maybe I can pray that you shouldn't destroy Sodom. You see the transition? You see the transition? Once he hears that God listens and answers prayers, see, Avram could have made, could have made the following connection. And by the way, the Romans said this to Rabbi Akiva. You give charity to the poor, you're a sinner. Right? This is the twistedness and the perversion of Rome. But listen to their logic. It actually is very strongly argued. God means for that man to be poor. So if you're giving him money, you're sinning against God. So that's, well, hmm, that, that actually makes weird sense, doesn't it? So what's the answer? The answer is the bris milah. You see, anyone who investigates how just amazingly, amazingly, amazingly complex the human body is. So let's talk about the, uh, the, the male for a moment, okay? Since we're talking about the bris ultimately. But it's true for a woman as well, obviously. Um, maybe even more so for a woman since they have babies and, and men don't. So, so, but, but nonetheless, just to focus on, on, on the man and his anatomy for a moment, you look at how like, mind-bendingly phenomenal all the organs and, 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 and everything, the, the, the eye, the, the, the rods, and just the, the brain, the synapse, just, it's, it's infinite, right? And yet, we've got this extra flap of skin on our body that Hashem says cut off. Now, are you telling me that Hashem, who made this incredible structure, couldn't have created it without an extra flap of skin? Right? I mean, it goes without saying. Of course. Of course. So what's the point? The point is that Hashem makes us partners with Him in terms of the perfection of the world. Hashem says, no, I leave this job to you. You do this. So it means we have a role in terms of participating in the world and completing the world. So the Roman is wrong. Rabbi Akiva comes back to the Roman and he says, look, here's a bunch of wheat, here's a loaf of bread, which is greater. So the Roman says the loaf of bread. And Rabbi Akiva says, well, God made the wheat, man made the bread. So God wants us to participate in terms of the world and to add and to bring it to its next level. So, of course, if there's a poor person, we give the poor person money. Because if there's a lack in the world, it's our job to fulfill the lack. That's our job. That's not counter to God's will. That is God's will. That's why we're created. Okay. So now, with that in mind, you see the spiritual evolution from Noah to Abraham. Abraham says, look, for decades I haven't had a baby. Decades. Decades and decades and decades. It must be that God doesn't want me to have a baby. Right? That's like the Roman person saying, of course they're poor people. God doesn't want you to give them the money because he made them poor. So Abraham Avinu says, no. Just because this is the way reality is right now, it doesn't mean that this is the way reality is supposed to be. And I'm supposed to pray for a perfect world. 
And I don't stop. I don't stop. So when Hashem says through the Malach, you're going to have a child in the world, you're going to have a child in a year, Avram says, ah, so Hashem hears prayers, and I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Ah, but why? <laughs> you God who hears prayers, don't, don't, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, so now, let's go back. Let's go back to, let's, let's go back a bit. You see, during the time that I had the, the privilege of learning with Reb Shlomo Karlobach, and it's his site this week, Monday night, Tuesday, the 16th of Cheshvan, if you want to light a candle. So, so, um, so Reb Shlomo many, many times spoke about the difference between the tree of knowledge and the tree of life, and different orientations. And sometimes he would say, well, you know, that's, that's, that's a tree of knowledge Torah. Or, ah, that's a tree of life Torah. Tree of life is much, much higher than the tree of knowledge. The current exile, the darkness of the world, all comes from when we ate from the tree of knowledge. Okay? You know, the way Rav Shlomo put it one time, according to the tree of knowledge, one plus one equals two, Right? But according to the tree of life, one plus one equals one. And one plus ten equals one. Why? Because the tree of life is telling you that wherever you look, it's, it's, it's filled with the oneness of God. So, whatever is happening, it's just one plus ten equals one. And then he says, and, um, but at the same time, we also don't know. Because the tree of life tells you, what do I know? You know, I'm saying this teaching all the time, but can't stop saying it. Rabbi Shlomo said, I asked him one time, how do you maintain the fire in terms of learning? You see, learning has to be like a fire. It has to be like a fire. See, you know what snuffs out the fire? What snuffs out the fire is quote-unquote knowing. When we ate from the tree of knowledge, we brought death into the world. When you quote-unquote know something, you kill it. The worst thing is when a husband and a wife, parents and children, when they decide that they know each other. When they decide that they know each other, that's death to the relationship. Because, you know, what do I I even have to talk to you for? I already know what you're going to say. What do you even have to tell you this for? Because I know how you're going to react. This type of knowledge is the tree of knowledge knowing that brought death into the world. When Reb Shlomo married my wife and I, he blessed us that we should always surprise each other. Because when you're being surprised, this is proof to you that you don't know. That's life. So, in terms of learning... We always have to be in a place where we have to guard against knowing too much. So how do you do it? So, again, I, I, I have to keep on giving this over because it's so good, just in case you, someone didn't hear it or heard it and forgot it. So Reb Shlomo gave the best advice. He said, each new piece of information that you get, you have to treat like a puzzle piece that you don't have the rest of the pieces of the puzzle for. So... That's the end of the teaching, but think about the brilliance of that. 
Because, you see, the problem is, is that when you acquire something new, you're focused on that which you've acquired. And so you're in a place of having and knowing. I just learned something new. I know now. I didn't know, now I know. You're in a place of knowing. This closes you off to the ultimate mystery of creation and the infinity of God. But if I receive one puzzle piece for a puzzle that I don't have the rest of the pieces for, I have simultaneously acquired something and simultaneously been reminded of all that I don't have. So, so it's a perfect check and balance. You know, but at the same time, you know that you don't know. Okay. Very important. So that's the tree of life. Bless it. That's the tree of life. Now he says, bless you. He says that Noah was connected to the tree of knowledge. He was still part of this tree of knowledge legacy of the world where God says, I want to wipe out the world. Wipe it out, God. You're right. The people are bad. You're right. Wipe it out. That's the tree of knowledge level. But the era of Torah in the world begins with Abraham Avinu. Torah, Reb Shlomo says, reminds you that everything is not what I see with my eyes. Right? See, it's funny because the, this great darkness that entered into the world, which we call the Enlightenment, <laughs> which, which carried with it Many, many, many indisputable advances, of course, goes without saying. But this idea that if, if I can't prove it rationally, then it's superstition. If I can't touch it with my hands, then it's not real. This is preposterous. That's irrational. In other words, the hallmark of their rationality is the embodiment of irrationality. Because is there a person who's arrogant enough, who actually believes that they can understand every aspect of creation, and that which they can't understand doesn't exist? That's the hallmark of irrationality. So Torah tells you, the world is much deeper than what I can see with my eyes, and with what I can touch with my hands. This is Abraham Avinu. So Reb Shlomo says, Ah, Abraham Avinu saw the neshamas, the souls of Sodom and Gomorrah, and said, What do I know? This is what they look like on the outside, but what about on the inside? So he davens that they should be saved. Do you know Kabbalistically, and it's something that I always struggled with, and then Rib Shlomo just put it in the most beautiful way, and then it's like for the first time I understood it. Kabbalistically speaking, do you know the generation of the flood comes back as the generation of the Jews in the desert? Did you know that? So I couldn't wrap my mind around that for many, many, many years. It just didn't make any sense to me. How could it be that the generation of the flood, which was like, you know, you had men marrying you know, calves and chickens and bears getting married and people composing, you know, marriage hymns to, you know, animals and 
people getting married, you had interspecies breeding and not breeding, but marriages and I mean it was and, and, and people were so wise in their corruption, meaning to say that um, there was a law that um, you know the pruta was the currency of the time. A pruta, I don't know, it's maybe like a penny or something like this. So there's one opinion that God brought the flood because of this particular act right now that I'm going to describe. Although there was widespread, um, widespread problems, obviously. Um, people would... It, it, the law of the land was that an actionable offense, a prosecutable offense, was if you stole two prutas worth or more. Okay, that's the base level of how much you had to steal to bring someone to court. So people would intentionally steal one pruta's worth. In other words, it was an open defiance of any sense of legislation. It was a, it was a deep, rootedness, deep rootedness of, of the spirit of lawlessness that you cannot legislate against me. So to a people who intentionally stole one pruta's worth to flaunt that their actions can be you know, guided by something higher like law, God said, well, listen, if, 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 that's, if, if that's your fundamental approach to life, there, there's no dealing with you. Okay, so that's, according to that opinion, why that was the final straw that brought on the flood. Okay. So, so given the widespread unrighteousness of the generation of the flood, you're telling me that's who we are in this room today? Because who are we? We're the generation of the desert. We just keep on coming back till we get it right. But that's us. So instead of wandering around the desert, we're wandering around Los Angeles and Europe and Australia and South Africa. Right? But it's still us. It's the exact same people. It's the exact same Torah. We're, we're just waiting to get it right. So we're the generation from the flood? How does that work? That, that was a holy generation. So, the way Reb Shlomo put it was the generation of the flood, just like we said that Abraham Avinu saw past the outside and he saw into the inside. He saw that even those, gener- even that, those people in Sodom had a degree of holiness to them and to pray for them. So, it's also true of the generation of the flood. So, Hashem brings them back and He makes them work very, very hard to fix what they did wrong. That's the work in Egypt. That's the enslavement of Egypt. So we always learned it, that that's the crucible in which Hashem made the, genera- the, the nation of Israel. Right? That's the standard way of learning it, which is all well and good. That's also true. He forged a nation through the slavery and the servitude of Egypt. Right? That's how people say it. Right? That's, that's also true. But on a deeper mystical level, that generation from the flood had to work really, really hard in order to correct all the wrong things that they had done. And then, after they did that, ah, now they're ready to receive the Torah. And remember, don't forget, don't forget that it says that the generation of Noah was supposed to get the Torah. Remember, all the connections, all the connections that... um, Right? The flood was 40 days. Moshe was on Mount Sinai for 40 days. 
Moshe is the reincarnation of Noah. Okay? Torah is compared to water. Right? But because that generation wasn't worthy, instead of the, the spiritual connection between Torah and water, they weren't worthy to receive the, the, the spiritual essence of it, so it came down in its physical form as a flood, as actual water, which wiped them out. Okay? So, so if you see, the generation of the flood was supposed to get the Torah. Ah, now all it comes together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it makes sense. They come back, they work it off in Egypt, and then they get the Torah for real. All right, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense. All right, so, so Abraham Avinu, this is already learning on the level of the tree of knowledge. Uh, I'm sorry, of the tree of life. This is the deeper thing. What do I know? What do I? It's more than what I see with my eyes. We have to say, the beautiful Torah that I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Reb Tzadok HaKoyin, everyone says the world is getting further and further away from God. Reb Tzadok says, I say, the world is getting further and further away on the outside, but coming closer and closer on the inside. Meaning to say that a lot of times you can look at someone else and they've got orange hair and a mohawk and tattoos and everything like this and you say, this person's ready to like, put on tefillin, right? Are you crazy? And the answer is 100% yes. Because people, they need to check everything out. So it looks like on the outside they're getting further and further away. But what are they doing? They're trying this thing and they're saying, ah, the truth's not there. And they're trying that thing which is even more extreme and bizarre. And they go, ah, the truth's not there. And then they try that and they say, that's completely unsatisfying. And at the end, after they've tried everything, they go, okay, now I'm really ready for the truth. But what do they look like on the outside? Like you'd never talk to them. And on the inside, they're absolutely ready for Torah. Okay, so now that we're connecting Abraham back to the tree of life, now I want to share with you something special. Something new. Something new. Maybe it's something new. I don't know. I just came across it about an hour ago. So, <laughs> so, uh, so let's begin with this, with this medrash, something unbelievable, from the Zohar. So, um, so, so everybody knows that all the patriarchs and matriarchs, right, except for Rachel, are buried in Mar Samach Pela, the, the cave of the patriarchs, right, in Hebron. And also that Adam and Eve are buried there as well, Adam and Chava. And that that's the entrance to the Garden of Eden, right? It says where heaven and earth kiss. That's that's more Samach Pela. That's the that's that cave, that burial place. So, so it says that when um, it says that when Abraham came in to bury Sarah, listen to what happened. I'm going to read you a, an English translation here. When Abraham brought Sarah's body into the cave of Machpelah. Adam and Eve came out. They rose from the dead. They rose from the dead. And refused to let him bury her. 
For they said, We have shame enough in this world for having transgressed Hashem's commands. Now we're going to be even more ashamed because you, you who are so righteous, are going to be buried next to us. It's, it's a further embarrassment. We can't take it. And Abraham Avinu says, he says, I am ready to, to appease Hashem on your behalf so that you'll never be ashamed. Meaning, Abraham says to Adam and Chava, don't worry, Abraham and Sarah, even though Sarah had passed away at that point, but, you know, she had finished her job in this world, Abraham says to Adam and Chava, don't worry, we're, we're, we're fixing it. Don't worry, we're, we're going to fix it. We're fixing, we're fixing what you did. So that was enough for, for, for Adam. But Chava couldn't be appeased because she ate first from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And then Abraham brought her to Adam. And Adam accepted her because of Abraham. That's what it says there. It says the Zohar, it's from the Zohar. Okay. So, chapter 1, 128a, if you want to look that up. Um, so, I got an idea. If Abraham and Sarah are the fixing of Adam and Chava, right? So, I got an idea. Here was my idea. Why not take the names Adam and Chava, add them up, and take the names... Abraham and Sarah add them up and subtract them. And we can see the difference between Abraham and Sarah and Adam and Chava. Okay? So, that was my idea. Mm-hmm. And the answer is, the number is 689. That's the difference between the two couples, Gamatrias. 689. Okay? Uh, Abraham and Sarah is much more, actually. Yeah. Okay? And there's only two words in the whole Chumash which have the gematria of 689. Okay? And you'll see how they actually totally correspond to their relationships. Okay? Of the two couples. The first one is Petiras. Now, Petiras is a really interesting word because a burial is called a Petira. And that's when the two couples encountered each other at Sarah's Petira, at her burial. But technically speaking, it means to open. Because, this is me talking, but I think it's because you open up the ground to lay a body to rest. So, But this word burial, Petira, is, is, is that gematria. But, but there's more to it than that. Petiris also means an opening, not just an opening for the ground. And by the way, interestingly, the, uh, the Chumash says that, that, uh, that, that Abraham was preparing a uh, bakar, um, bez um, kuf resh, which is a calf, for the angels to eat. And that animal ran away. And Abraham chased after it, and the animal went to to Morasamach Pelah, 
to the cave of the patriarchs, and that's how Abraham Avinu discovered where it was. Okay? So, so Rabbi Wolfson says, if you rearrange the letters of Bakar, of this calf, which ran away, it spells Keper, which means gravesite, because that's where they would all be buried. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that cool? Um, okay. So we've got to wrap it up here. Oh my goodness. We've got to really wrap it up. Uh, so let me just tell you very, very quickly. Um, I, w- I want to read you the Pasuk. Uh, Petirus also means opening, as in the opening of a womb, as a woman giving birth, or an animal giving birth, just the, the birth process. Okay? So listen, listen to this. It says... Uh, So the Pasuk um, that has this gematria, Petirus is uh, uh, Bamidbar, Numbers 8.16. Okay? Listen to the whole thing. They're actually talking about the Levium. But it says here, they are given to me from among the Israelites in place of the firstborn that initiates from the womb of all the Israelites. I have taken them for myself. So, okay, I'm going to be there in one second, Okay? Okay, you can sit down. I'll be there in one second. Um, so here you see, Petirus is referring to the opening of the womb that gives birth to the firstborn. So, so Adam and Chava are the firstborn, firstborn people, and, and Abraham and Sarah are the firstborn Jews. Amazing. So both of them relate to the firstborn. Now, listen to this. What did we say? We said that Abraham and Sarah are fixing Adam and Chava. So the second gematria, which has this, which has this um, shared, uh, which has the shared number of six eighty nine, is La Risam. Their later end. Okay. So now think of these two couples and hear this pasuk. This is from Hazinu. Okay, thirty two. Um, 3229, you ready? If they were wise, they would contemplate this and understand what their end will be. Because what started with Adam and Chava, what is their end? Abraham and Sarah, who are coming to fix. If they were wise, they would understand what their end would be. In other words, where was their lack of wisdom? Not following the will of God, right? Um, okay, so I just want to I just want to end with um, with a, with a story that I heard from Rabbi Avram Greenbaum yesterday. So those of you who aren't familiar with him, he's a Brezel of Rachasid and uh, has spread uh, Brez- the teachings of Rabbi Nachman uh, far and wide with many books and wonderful teacher and. Um, he told this story, and I, I want to leave you with this story. He says, remember, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because what was the spiritual evolution from Noah to Abraham? Abraham realized that Hashem listens to prayers, and if that's the case, just because this is the way it is right now, doesn't mean that's the way it has to be. Abraham heard that he's going to have a child, and that Hashem wants to destroy Sodom. So he goes, okay, if I'm having a child, that means Hashem hears prayers. So I'll pray that he shouldn't destroy Sodom. 
Okay. So now with that in mind, listen to this, because this opened up a lot of gates for me, personally. I just heard it yesterday, but it's a strong teaching. So, uh, Rabbi Greenberg, Greenbaum, sorry, said, said the following. He said that he was in Uman, right after the collapse of the Soviet uh, Empire, and, um, and so, so there were many more people who were going to Rabbi Nachman's uh, gravesite for Rosh Hashanah at that point. And uh, at, at one point, I guess it was after Rosh Hashanah, the uh, Ukrainian military sent two military helicopters, each which fit 40 people, so room for 80 people. And as a gesture of goodwill, seemingly, they were offering to send them to, all around to... Um, to the kever of the Baal Shem Tov and to the Berdichev Rebbe. It's okay, Barry, don't worry. So, um, so that's, that's, that's great, because if you do that by car, apparently you can do it. I know people who have done it, but it's, it's very exhausting. And here you can do it on a, in a helicopter and go much faster. So it's good. So, so, so he's waiting, and it's like this tremendous opportunity, and you're going to be taken by helicopter, and it's fantastic. And they take the first 80 people. He's number 81. And he's devastated. He's just standing there. The helicopters are leaving and he's devastated. And he's so depressed, he said. And then he said, how can I be depressed? I'm here at Rabbi Nachman's gravesite. He said people would have given their right arm to get here and here I am and how can I be depressed? So he starts davening and, and dealing with this and he's davening and he says to himself, you know what? He gets it into his head. You know what? I, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray everything I would have prayed at the Berdichever's Gravesite, and I'm going to pray everything that I would have prayed at the Baal Shem Tov's uh, gravesite. And then he starts praying, and then he says, I'm just going to pray for everything. I, even though I'm not there, even something that I think is impossible, I'm going to keep on praying. So he says, I'm praying that I'm going to learn the entire Shulchan Aruch, and I'm praying that I should learn the entire Talmud, and the entire Talmud Yerushalmi, and the entire Zohar, and, the, and he's going book after book, and then he says, and I'm davening that I should be in the base of Mikdash, and that I should sing with the Levium, and that I should be by the Korbonos, and that I should be lighting the, you know, I should be there with the, with the um, lighting of the Katoris, the, the incense offering, and he says he's davening, 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 even things that are impossible. He's davening, davening, davening. So, there was such a breakthrough in terms of his relationship with God. So, so you know, I, the reason why that affected me on a personal level is because I know God can do anything. I know God can do anything. But in my own personal davening, I sort of say to myself, okay, well, well, anyway, let me finish his point because this is maybe even more really what he was trying to say. He says, in terms of speaking it out, when you speak out all of these things, that the power of speech is such that you make something real. And that you create a roadmap how to get to that place. How you can get to that place. And you have to be, he said, very specific. So that when you pour out your heart and you're very specific and you verbalize it, all of a sudden now there's a way, there, there's, there, there's, a, there's, there's a way to guide you. And then that's the, 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 that's the power of praying for the impossible because that which seems so far away, all of a sudden through your words, you make a bridge, so to speak. These are my words now. But that bridge is now a roadmap of maybe how to get there or, or what to do tomorrow or what to do next month in terms of your own personal 
things. Okay. So that's, that's very good. So I just want to say that I know in my own davening I've limited myself so much. I've said, okay, what is the realm of the possible? Even as I've said, think big, think big. I've said that in talks. And I've meant it. Think big. But for myself, I've said, okay, what's possible? What do I feel is possible? And then it's a very narrow band. And then I try to figure out, okay, within that narrow band, I'll try to figure this or that, whatever it is. But there was something explosive after I heard this where I just said, all right, and I just daven like for things that I felt were impossible. You know, I didn't, you know, daven and now I should have a special suit that shoots lasers out of my hand and I should fight crime and fly over the fair metropolis. No, I didn't, I didn't, not stuff like that, but you know what I'm saying. And it was a tremendously liberating thing. It was a very good thing. And then you, you speak it out, and then, okay. You can, you, can, you can make a lot of openings. You can make a lot of openings. So anyway, Hashem should bless us that we, the good things in our life that we love, we should continue to have. That's already a big blessing, that you should keep what's, to be able to keep what's, what's good in your life. That's, that's not a small thing. Just because you have it today, it doesn't mean we have it tomorrow. So we have to pray that we should keep that's what, that which is good in our life. And then also, that which we want, we should really free ourselves to just, as an exercise, just to daven for everything. Even things we don't feel so we can get, but to be very specific. And then to allow those words to guide us to the next step. And you know something? Last week I said something which was that a lot of times we're, we're operating in a particular way and we're not getting what we want. And I compared it to being in a certain lane of traffic. And sometimes you're in a clogged lane and for some reason everyone's in this lane. And if you just switch over to the next lane, there's no traffic. And it, ha- it happened to me this week. It hadn't happened in years. And I'm going like one mile an hour. And then I thought, hmm, I wonder what's going on in this lane. And it just shot through. And I said, that's what I was talking about. So, so if you're doing something one way, maybe try another. And of course, you know, the main, main teaching is we've got to have, if we're having our head in the clouds, that's fine. By the way, I just found out that the gematria for my name, right, also means in the clouds. <laughs> I saw that. It's in the Balaturim. Anyway, um, but we've also got to have our feet on the ground, you know. And, you know, any time it comes to making real life decisions, we've got to talk to people about them. You know what I mean? You've got to talk to people about it. You have to make sure that it's a understandable, good path to be on, right? Because we're very respectful of the laws of nature and how things actually operate. But while we're respectful of this world, we can't be imprisoned by it at the same time. Okay, have a great work. Thank you, David. Oh, wow. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Wow.